0: Let's go one more time in prayer. Lord Almighty, open our ears and open our hearts now. Cause us, Lord, to hear your word and to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus, amen. My sons and I like to do projects and one problem that I have is I often bite off more than I can chew. On one such occasion, I called up my friend, Walt Steer, and asked him if my son and I could invade his shop, to which he graciously assented, and we went over, and we're sitting there setting up on his metal lathe, and I asked him a question. I said, Walt, on this lathe, how fine a measurement can you get? Can you get things to within a tenth of an inch? Can you get things to within a hundredth of an inch? And I knew what the answer was going to be, but I wanted my son to be impressed by the fact that on a properly set up metal lathe, it isn't a tenth of an inch, it isn't a hundredth of an inch, it is ten thousandths of an inch. What on earth would you need something machined so finely that it would be down to one ten thousandth of an inch? Well, almost all the engine parts in your car, everything that is in your computer, anything that is mechanical, is going to have to have very finely tuned parts so that they can, in fact, work together. By the way, as a little factoid of interest, it takes seven one ten thousandths of an inch to make a human hair. And we were measuring, well, the stuff we were doing wasn't down that far. But it was was really cool that we could if we wanted to. If something like an engine or a computer has to be so finely tuned, something infinitely more important like right thinking about the triune God, must also stand up to some pretty fine rigor. Last week we talked about the cross and specifically we talked about how thinking about the cross can help us have some mental ammo when our hearts are under attack by temptation Today I want to continue by talking about what is it that the cross accomplished. Maturity is learning to discern reality by making necessary and very often very fine distinctions. Tonight we will discuss what Christ did for us on the cross and we will make distinctions about the most important ideas concerning what we know as the atonement. And then we're going to discuss three aspects of what is entailed in this atonement, namely that God was propitiated, we were ransomed, and we were reconciled to God. We will see that Christ saves us from the penalty of sin. Christ is saving us from the power of sin. And one day he will save us completely from the presence of sin. And one of the key ideas that we talk about when we talk about the atonement is this phrase, penal substitutionary. What happened when Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins? He died to save us from the penalty. And we find this out in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin. God the Father made God the Son who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The atonement is the bringing of a holy God. And a sinful man to be at one. I want to explain this concept and I want to give you a mental image so that you can understand it. Atonement is the word that describes the reality of being made at one with God. And the image that I like to use is that of a quarter. On one side of this quarter you have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. You flip the quarter over and what you have is justification or the declaration of righteousness into our account. I get this from Colossians chapter 1, where we see in whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now I know, we all here know, that you must have all your sins forgiven. If you have even one sin, then you cannot be made right with God. Because, basically, every single one of your sins is mine. All of our sinful attitudes and actions is telling God, no thanks, I want to do it my way. And we need more than merely forgiveness. If we are truly going to be made at one with God, we need to have more. We need to have a positive forgiveness. Righteousness. We need to have something to our credit or we won't be perfect. We will be forgiven, but we won't have the positive righteousness. And the only way to get this is to be justified. And to be justified means to be declared righteous. God speaks righteousness into our account. Look with me at Romans You are justified. You are declared righteous. You have righteousness or a right relationship spoken into existence so that you can have both the forgiveness of sins and the positive righteousness you need to be made one with God. And in here, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we see that God the Father credited or declared that the punishment for your sin would fall on Christ. Because it can fall on us, but then what does that mean for us? That means it's eternal separation from the Father. God the Father said, declared that Jesus would be sin on our behalf. Now there's a lot that people make of this, but it's just simply to say that Christ took the penalty for us. God the Son had not sinned, but God the Father treated him as if he had sinned every single sin of every single person who would trust the promises of God. And then God the Father declared or accounted or credited righteousness that God the Son earned through his life to your account. And these two things, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and justification, the declaration of righteousness, is what you and I need to be atoned. Christ saved us from the penalty of sin. He saves us From the power of sin, and he will one day save us from the presence of sin. Now, I want to talk about one more thing before we move on, and that is what we mean by vicarious. Very often we talk about the atonement as the vicarious atonement. It means simply that Christ paid for you, it means that Christ paid for us the cost of being declared at one. And the fact that we call this penal substitution is that you and I deserved a penalty. We deserve to be punishment, punished for our sins. Now, okay. Most of you have heard these statements for many years, and I'm sure that most of you have some vague idea. But I'm giving this to us because we need to be exact. Maybe not down to one ten thousandth of an inch in our theology, but we need to be careful because the better we know what the Word of God teaches, the better we understand what the Bible is explaining to us, the better we will know our God and Father. And as you have heard me many times, the more we know God the better we will therefore love him and trust him. You need to know the Father, and this is part of what knowing him means. Now, I told you there would be three aspects of the atonement that we would go into, and the first one is this idea of propitiation. Simply means, Jesus died in my place so God's anger would be turned away from me. In 1 John 4.10 John writes, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you go back to my original statement, this is the aspect that talks about the fact that Christ saved us from the penalty of our sins. In the Old Testament, millions of animals were killed. I don't know if you really thought about that very much millions of animals were killed over the years and these were given by the faithful Jews as an act of faith so that God the Father would atone for them they would make them as one and when offered in faith indeed they worked God turned away his wrath. They were propitiated even though they did not understand why. Now, one way to think about sin is that sin defiles. Sin makes us dirty. In this sense, the sinner then needs to be purified. He needs to be cleansed or to use another theological word, he needs to be expiated. I'm sorry, I'm using, well, I'm not sorry for using these big words. I'm trying to explain them to you so that we know them. God's, um, we needed to be expiated. We needed to have our sins cleansed for us so that his wrath could then be turned away. Because his wrath was focused, in this case, on our sins. Sins, dirtiness. And the slide here explains it. Expiate means to cleanse away the impurity of our sins. And to propitiate means to turn away wrath because of our sins. The filth of my sin, the muck and the mire that I have drugged myself through needed to be cleansed. And I needed to be purified so that God's anger at that would not be directed at me but would be directed at ultimately, on the cross at Christ. Now, all this was offered to believers in the Old Testament the same way it was offered to us, by grace through faith. And in Psalm 130, the word that is translated as forgiveness in the Greek Old Testament is the same word as in the New Testament as propitiate. And it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Psalms. But with you is forgiveness so that you may be feared. What the psalmist was most concerned about is that God would forgive him. He would turn away that wrath from him so that he, the believer, could then put his faith in God and trust him that I'm not going to get obliterated So now I can run to you. I can cling to you. I can want to be in this relationship with you. Because after all, if I'm already going to be destroyed because of the sins I've already committed and there's nothing I can do about it, why even pretend to want a relationship? It's only because I know that I can run to God and he will receive me that I can say, Uh, I want to make sure that I'm not doing what displeases you. Now, all these millions of sacrifices and all of this turning away of wrath was preliminary. But the cross made it permanent. The cross was the sacrifice that all of the other sacrifices pointed to. The cross was the point at which God finally and completely and actually poured out his wrath for every sin of every person who would ever trust him. And he did it on Christ because Christ was the only one who could take it and live. Christ saved us from the penalty of sin Christ is saving us from the power of sin. And Christ will one day save us from the presence of sin. So it begs the question though, why worry about fancy words like expiation and propitiation? Why should we even care that these words exist? I, after all, just want to show up at church and leave. Well, if that's true of you, then you probably don't need to know. But then you have to ask yourself, are you really a Christian? If you want to study anything worth studying, maybe that's cars, maybe that's computers. If you want to study something that's worth studying, you're going to have to learn the vocabulary. Because if you don't know the vocabulary, you're not going to understand the concepts and you're going to be constantly frustrated. And there's one thing I know about Christians. Christians is that when we're frustrated because we don't understand, we just leave it alone. It's so much easier to be entertained, right? Understanding if there's no other reason, this is a reason to pay attention to words like propitiation. Secondly, last week in our discussion on the cross, we particularly pictured the realities of sin what it is that sin does to us, how the Bible describes what that sin does to us. And we explained it and showed us how the cross is a picture of that and how God took care of it on the cross. And because he did, because he turned his anger away from us, those hours that Jesus hung on the cross, we can rejoice and I should want to know the reason for my rejoicing. Amen? Amen? My friends, this isn't some, oh, this should be a cause of rejoicing for you. And these words are hard to pronounce, but they're important. And I'm not so concerned that you can say propitiation But I'm concerned that you will know that God's wrath is turned away from you because you have trusted the promises of God for you in Christ. So Christ on the cross propitiated God. And secondly, he ransomed us. Jesus died in my place so that I would be rescued from a bondage to sin. Mark 10. 45 for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. Christ died to, and Christ died saved us from the penalty of sin, and now we are seeing how he is saving us from the power of sin. Unfortunately, when you come to the concept of ransom, there was a very famous man two millennia ago almost, who said that what's going on with this idea in Mark 10:45 is that Christ had to pay something to Satan because Satan owned us or something like that. And so Christ had to pay off Satan. Let me tell you, that is a lie. That has nothing to do with the basis of reality. There is absolutely no s- scriptural support for that. And I want you to hear that only so that if something spouts off nonsense like that, you can tell them that it's not true. <laughs> Instead, what, what is he talking about? Ransom. The idea behind this word ransom, and, and there's a couple of different words that translate this idea, is that you and I have sold ourselves to sin. And it may be that your flavor of sin is different than mine. It may be that your flavor of sin is gossip. Maybe your flavor of sin is consumerism. Maybe your flavor of sin is anger, lust, whatever it is. You have been sold as a slave to this sin. And the image is that Christ has bought you back out of it. Again, all images fail at some point. Christ didn't have to pay anybody. He didn't have to pay lust or greed or anything else. He just paid, and in that payment, he was able to grab you out of that slavery and bring you into a relationship with him. This is exactly what Paul is getting at when he he talks about it in Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because Christ died on the cross for you, you can be free from slavery to sin. And this is one of the most important and one of the most practical teachings in Scripture. It means that when you are face to face with your temptation, you can turn away. You can turn away from your sin that threatens to enslave you to things that should, in fact, make you want to vomit instead. And again, it's exactly what Paul tells us. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you. What is all this about members? Well, let me just give you a really easy example. One of your members, for most of us, it's our right hand, does this. And this remote controlling of the TV has led many a person into sin. Is that wrong? Could you say that that's true? Don't present your members to sin. If this is causing you to turn away from Jesus, put it down. Jesus said something about this too, didn't he? If your right hand caused you to sin, chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And what, The doctrine of being ransomed at the cross is teaching us is you can do it. It's possible. It's, in fact, it's the most rational thing that you can do. The fact that you are ransomed means you no longer have to present your body to sin. And this fine distinction about being ransomed on the cross, this fine little understanding of a handful of verses that are found throughout the New Testament can enable us to spit in the ugly face of temptation because he is no longer my slave driver. He is no longer my master and I can turn away. Good theology, even with ultra-fine distinctions, will free you if you allow it because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free Christ saved us from the penalty of sin he saves us from the power of sin and he will one day save us from the presence of sin in fact this is what we're going to get to now when we talk about reconciliation Jesus died in our place so that we would be at one with God. 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of of reconciliation. Christ will save those who trust the promises of God for him in Christ from the presence of sin. Now, another clarification needs to be made. You and I live in a culture which teaches above all else that God needs to be reconciled to us. God is the one who has messed up. God is the one who has somehow not come through on his deal for us. Again, a lie from the pit of hell. We are the ones that need reconciling. We are the ones who have turned away. We are the ones who have fallen short. But when we treat religion as a smorgasbord that we can pick and choose as we wish, we fall short. The truth is that God is God and we are not. And we lie to ourselves if we think for one moment that God owes us anything. Yeah, Pastor Greg, amen. Preach that for all those pagans out there. Wait a minute. What about us? Do we ever treat God as a smorgasbord? What do you pray for? How do you pray? For whom do you pray? When do you pray? Ask yourself one question. Ask yourself one question. Better than that, ask Jesus one question. Ask him. Are my prayers, self-centered prayers, that's treating you like a smorgasbord? You want to hear God speak to you, do one of two things. If you want to hear God's voice, pick up your Bible and read it out loud. You're supposed to respond to me on that one. That was supposed to be moderately funny. Okay. But then ask Jesus. If there's something about your prayers that you need to change. And this is my general rule. This is me talking. I'm talking about myself here. When I pray a prayer like that, I don't see flashes of light. I don't hear this voice coming out of the thunder or whatever, but generally what happens when I ask God a question like that, what inevitably happens is I'll continue on my day and there will come a time when my brain is in neutral. I'm driving down the road or I'm doing something that I'm not really, really actively thinking about and the last time I was praying for that toy that I want will come to mind or the last time that I was asking God to take care of that person over there because they are really defiling your name and they're really being bad. Thoughts like that will come to my mind. And I take it as the Holy Spirit saying to me, Greg, your prayers are treating me like a smorgasbord. Your prayers are treating me as if I need to be reconciled to you. I challenge you. Ask yourself sometime this evening. There was a poet, his name was Heinrich Heine, and he put this into his famous last words. Why, of course he will forgive me. That's his job. What a sad way to die. To treat God, as if he owes us something. When you finally stand before your Lord and your creator and your judge, do not ask for justice. Ask for grace. Ask for mercy based upon the reconciliation won for you on the cross. So, how do we get reconciled? What is this reconciled? Well, what needs to happen is death. Death must be paid for my sin. Fortunately, God shows his love for me in that while I am still a sinner, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And the power of this verse came forcefully to me in the early part of 1993. You remember, the FBI, for about two months, put a barricade around David Koresh. You remember when this happened? Two months, the FBI was out there. And I remember thinking about this particular verse and thinking, man. What if then President Bill Clinton got in Marine One and flew in and he landed right inside the barricades and he got on his loudspeaker and said, hey, all y'all in that building, if you come and get into this helicopter, we'll fly away. There'll be no questions, no ransoms, no prosecution. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. That's wouldn't it couldn't and obviously didn't happen because 80 people died in that conflagration but that's exactly what god the son did he got into your skin and mine he pitched his tent among us and he lived among us and he told us all y'all come on in and whoever does there's not going to be any questions. there's not going to be any prosecution, as we heard today. There's about five times I wanted to quote Pastor Benji tonight, but I, I didn't way to go. Um, Jesus did exactly that. And he's now making you a sinner who was filthy. Who was covered in shame, but who can speak with first person testimony of how God came and he propitiated himself, he turned away his anger, and how he ransomed us, he bought me back from my slavery to my own flavor of sin. And he reconciled me. And in reconciling me and bringing me to himself, he has given me the ministry of reconciliation. We find this in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why should you care to know the fine distinctions about how the cross propitiates the Father, how it ransoms you from your sin, and how it reconciles you to him? Well, frankly, because this is your job. It's your job to know this. It's, it's what you're supposed to do because you are a Christian, and he has called you to be an ambassador, to be one who cries out, be reconciled to God. And Lord willing, someone comes to you and says, okay, I want to know, what does this mean? How do I do it? Well, let me tell you, this is how you do it. Because you and I repent and we believe and we confess and we delight and we serve, not merely in order so that Jesus will bless us with his grace and save our souls, but so as a sign to both ourselves and to those watching us that we already are saved by God from the penalty and the power of sin, and we have great faith that one day we will also be saved from the presence of sin. If your most important problem, the fact that you deserved God's anger, the fact that you were enslaved to sin, and the fact that you were going to spend eternity in hell, if your problem with sin has been resolved, then you have nothing to fear about from all the other problems on this earth. Now you can get on with life and share the reconciliation offered by Jesus on the cross so that minor problems like cultural gender confusion, and the enormous refugee crisis can take their proper place. Because all my greatest problems have been solved. Now I can go and be that voice of reconciliation. Jesus Christ saved me from the penalty of sin. He saves me from the power of sin, and he will one day save us from the presence of sin. Now, go. And be ambassadors of this. Tell all your friends and neighbors. Be reconciled to God. And Lord Almighty, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. To make us ambassadors for you. That we would bring glory and honor and praise to you. Because you are the one who deserves it. Bless us now, Jesus, so that we will be your instruments of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.